1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
2: It's one thing to have talent, it's another thing to have a team. Sometimes
1: baseball in Chicago can feel like a tale of two cities, especially this year, or more specifically, this past week. The Chicago Cubs, underdogs of the entire sport for over 100 years, won the World Series seven years ago. Since then, they've added a few division titles and wildcard berths, and as of this recording, are holding on tightly to second place in the National League Central. And off the field, present-day Wrigleyville has a completely different look and feel than the storied days of Ernie Banks and Ron Santo, or even Andre Dawson and Ryan Sandberg. With restaurants, hotels, and more, new ownership, and a massive influx of cash have transformed Addison and Clark into almost a town in and of itself. And while the Chicago White Sox can also claim a few playoff appearances since their 2005 World Series win, their story this year has been particularly dark. On pace to potentially lose over 60% of their games, the team has floundered, with continued missed opportunities, stories of disorganization and hostility in the clubhouse, And now a one-two punch of uncertainty on the future of the team as a whole.
0: The White Sox should not be irrelevant in terms of like where they are in the baseball world, but it's all self-inflicted.
1: I'm Jim Hankey, and this week we're checking the score on the future of the Chicago White Sox and what, if anything, can be salvaged from this nightmarish season. Let's get looped in, Chicago. Last season, the Sox broke even, winning and losing 81 games, which was enough to still come in second in the struggling AL Central. Seems like something to build on. But as of this recording, only five hitters have a batting average higher than 250, and no pitchers have an earned run average of under three. There's confusing stats on the team's output, too, like having the sixth most at-bats in all of baseball translating to the sixth worst total in runs scored. Shouldn't more chances at the plate set the team up for more times to cross it? But within the last week or so, there have been a series of events off the field and in the stands that have moved the current state of the White Sox from the sports section to front page news. Number one, Craig Chicago ran a story last Monday, quoting multiple sources close to the Southsiders, indicating that team owner Jerry Reinsdorf is pondering a move of the team from guaranteed rate field when that lease ends in six years. Maybe a move out of Chicago altogether to somewhere like Nashville. And if Reinsdorf, still the owner of the Chicago Bulls to boot, decides to sell, that payday is enormous. His group purchased the White Sox for $19 million in 1981. And the estimated worth of the team currently, even with poor performance and attendance, is estimated at a little north of $2 billion. Number two, within days of Crane Chicago putting this news out there, Reinsdorf relieved Executive VP Kenny Williams and Senior VP and GM Rick Hahn of their duties. We'll get to Williams' positive legacy, especially, later in this episode. But in a statement, Reinsdorf says, quote, This year has proven to be very disappointing for all of us on many levels, unquote. And that although this change was being made, he has, quote, Nothing but the greatest respect for them as people and appreciate the commitment and passion for the White Sox they exhibited over the years, unquote. And most recently, number three, a shooting last Friday in the stands has led to major safety concerns.
0: The attorney for the 42 year old woman who was shot in the leg says his client did not bring a gun into the ballpark. That contradicts some reports. The woman had snuck a weapon past metal detectors and it went off accidentally during the game, wounding her and a 26 year old woman. Channel 5 reports the older fan has season tickets and a FOID card. Her lawyer tells the station they had experts in firearms and medicine confirm her wound was not self inflicted and not the result of her accidentally discharging a gun.
1: Chicago police
0: say they're still investigating.
1: So with all of the above making headlines, I asked around the newsroom to see who could contribute to a deep dive on how the White Sox got here. And everyone pointed me to one name, news anchor Rob Hart. He's a lifelong follower of the team, and I found speaking with him to be like opening a Sox encyclopedia, as he remembers the good times and the bad with equal fervor. We sat down last week in the studio to get his take on what's going on at 35th and Shields. I guess to start off, what is your personal journey with the White Sox? When did that originate for you?
2: Well, I mean, I, I grew up in Beverly, a uh, Southsider through and through. And so when I started going to baseball games as a kid, it always began at Comiskey Park. It kind of like shaped my perception of, of what baseball is and what it should be. And I'll give you an example first couple of games i went to as a kid uh you go to Sox games and then uh my dad took me out to wrigley field to go to a cubs game and sit in the bleachers and someone hits a home run there are no fireworks Fucking the fireworks <laughs> didn't go off what's going on here yeah. so the Sox game experience is baseball to me and over the course of time i think i came to really appreciate not only Uh, the history of the team itself, but its relationship with the south side of Chicago. It is very much a regional baseball team. It's the only thing you have similar to what the old Brooklyn Dodgers used to be. And it still is uh, for people who live on the south side and the southwest side and may have grown up there and moved on. uh, It's still part of your attachment to that particular region of the Chicago area. Absolutely. Now, the Sox have had their share
1: of poor seasons and troubled eras before What makes this 2023 iteration of what they're going through different to you as a fan?
2: Well, I mean, this really just hammers home the fact that it was a failed rebuild. The current rebuild of the White Sox, if you want to call it that, began about uh, six or seven weeks after the Cubs won the World Series, which was the product itself of a rebuild that began in 2012. And because everybody in the Sox fan base just watched with their own two eyes what you can do when you rip the baseball club down to the studs trade everybody away get the minor league talent back you begin drafting and then make some uh, savvy free agent acquisitions you know that you can have a competitive ball club and one that can be competitive for five or six years and we were anticipating the same thing so there was a great deal of excitement there you have some periods in 2020 and in 2021 in which they were absolute world beaters, and you thought after they lost to the Houston Astros in 21, there was more to come. And then 2022 is disappointing, and 2023 is an abject disaster. They're on pace to lose over 100 games this year, and 10 years ago in 2013, they lost 99 and then in 2018, which was the depths of the rebuild, that's when you're supposed to lose. They lost 100. They're competing this year in 2023, and they're going to be worse than they were when they were actually like deliberately throwing games. So right. it's, it's, it's extremely disappointing, and you don't have any idea where the turnaround is going to take place. Recently, WBBM's
1: Craig Delamore asked Mayor Brandon Johnson about how he'd handle potentially getting in the mix of keeping the White Sox here in Chicago.
2: There is a great deal of history
1: there that I know the people of Chicago do not want lost. So, you know, I'm going to continue to listen and work with the ownership to make sure that that
2: history um, doesn't get lost.
1: So I asked Rob his thoughts there too. How legit is a potential move anywhere outside of the city proper?
2: Well, you got to remember, this is the very beginning of a very long process. I mean, the lease at guaranteed rate field is up in 2029. Right, we have six years to to figure something out. And if you had to ask me, I think when it's all said and done, uh, the White Sox stay in Chicago, and there's probably an 85 to 90 percent chance they stay at 35th in Shields. Because quite frankly, if you go someplace else, even in the Chicago area, you're going to have to rebuild the infrastructure you have. At 35th and Shields right now, it's right next to the Dan Ryan. You have a very immediate expressway connection. You have a metro station on the Rock Island at 35th Street. You have two L stops. You have the Dan Ryan line and you have the Green line at 35th and State. That's already there. So the question is, do you stay in guaranteed rate field, which will be reaching its 40th birthday by 2031, mm-hmm. or do you uh, build a new ballpark, possibly across the street on the side of old Comiskey Park, and then create a ballpark village around it, which seems to be the uh, uh, what's in vogue with new baseball parks right now? Look at you know Atlanta with their new stadium; they moved out of Turner Field, and that that opened in 1996. Yeah. So the, the 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 appeal to the Braves and in, in building a new stadium, which wasn't that old, was establishing that ballpark village. And I would imagine the White Sox, whoever owns it in 2029 and beyond, will want that. Well, over on the north side, you know, the Cubs have made the playoffs, I think, five of the last 10 years. You
1: know, like they're batting 500 in that regard. That area has undergone such a huge transformation, thanks, of course, to an influx of cash, changes at the top. In a perfect world, could you see a complete revamp of 35th and Shields, just the environment in general that's similar, maybe not the same, similar to what we have at Clark and Addison?
2: I mean, I don't think you could, you're could. you going to create a a Comiskeyville simply because part of what makes Wrigleyville Wrigleyville is that you had this ballpark, you had day baseball, you had these establishments around Wrigley Field that just happened to be there yeah. that all of a sudden became money machines After the Cubs turned into a national brand, thanks to Harry Carey and Channel 9 being on cable. Now, I I used to live in Bridgeport. I lived in Bridgeport from 2005 to 2011. And the the thought at the time in 2005 was all the gentrification, all the real estate speculation, all the stuff that was happening in the South Loop was moving south. It was going in the Chinatown and that eventually it's going to make its way here and what happened was the financial crisis in 2008 and a lot of that real estate development and a lot of those plans kind of stopped on their tracks but i think it's it's happening again so can you create a ballpark village where the parking lots are now i'm sure you can i mean if you look around the neighborhood there's a place at 33rd and princeton uh, which used to be called Jimbo's is now Cork and Carry at the park. That does very well. Uh, you can probably have some success if you if you put you know, maybe a movie theater there. I mean, mm-hmm. so there are people in the neighborhoods who would probably be they listen to your conversation if you yeah. asked them about a ballpark village around Sox Park <laughs> for sure, for sure. The other big term I've heard in this whole conversation about what's going on with the Sox is
1: clubhouse culture, and that can be translated into many different ways. But for us, just watching the game and not being behind the scenes. That usually translates or looks like lacking hustle or effort, maybe not running out of ground ball or something. But as a fan of this team, what do you see that's lacking or contributing to the deevolution of this team, particularly this year?
2: I think the lesson we've all learned uh, from watching this rebuild kind of fly apart is that it's one thing to have talent. It's another thing to have a team. And you need players who are constantly, you know, they they demand accountability from each other. They build each other up. They're rooting for each other. They hustle. They want to go to the ballpark every day. You kind of need a clubhouse guy or a culture guy, you know, maybe someone you just – you know, keeps everybody together. I mean, Scott pitsednik, AJ. Pierzinski, you know, the the grinders of the two thousand and five team. yeah,, uh, they did lead kind of a clubhouse personality that allowed them to win baseball games and allowed them to power through adversity. Everyone knows they won the World Series in two thousand and five, but do you also remember when they almost blew it in <laughs> September of that year and and what kept him going through that uh, swoon in September when, uh, they almost blew a 15 game lead is that clubhouse culture and that belief that they could do this. And the one thing that they said that kind of powered them through the postseason in 05, speaking of culture once again, was they didn't blow it. And you know, someone said, you know, they they stared the possibility of blowing it in the face. They didn't. Now let's go. Before you get going today, you know, what would be a button of success that you could put on this season for you
1: as a fan? Is there anything on or off the field that even with a losing record would show you
2: that these changes or
1: the product on the field was actually worth it in the end.
2: Uh, well, there's nothing about the product on the field that's worth it in the <laughs> end. Let, let's, let's forget it ever happened. Sure. But, you know, just like in previous years there were always kind of held up as all-time bad seasons, you have the performance of Luis Robert Jr. as a legitimate 40 home run guy. I mean, he's not just a good player. He's an all-star. Build a team around him and make sure he stays here and make sure he stays healthy. So you have a building block for whatever the next great White Sox team is going to be. The frustration, too, let's talk about off the field. The frustration that I have is we're celebrating the, as it were, The 30th anniversary of the 1993 team that won the American League West. And as part of that exploration of the 1993 team, Frank Thomas, Robin Ventura, uh, that whole group, is how what was then the brand new White Sox hat and logo introduced in 1991 uh, had taken on a great deal of significance in the hip-hop community. It just happened overnight. And you you just imagine how things could have been or how things can be. There is an interest in the White Sox. It is a cool logo. People like it. And if you just grafted a very good baseball team onto everything else, (laughs) the logo, the cultural significance of the logo, the, 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 the ball club's continued excellence in community service and promotions, if you just grafted a very good baseball team with a lot of stars that's noticeable, Onto that infrastructure, it would be considerably more than it is right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, here's to next season. Let me be the first to say that. Well, there's always next year. <laughs> I appreciate you stopping by and talking about this. It's a, I know it's a big passion of yours, and I appreciate you. Sharing I was going to say I,
2: I could stay here for another two hours and talk <laughs> about this. That's both a threat and a promise.
1: When we come back, we'll hear from one of the most respected Sox analysts there is about whether Nashville's need for pro baseball plays into this discussion. And we'll get some history, too, on the chain of command within the White Sox brass, which has confused some of their fan base within the last several years. All that when we return. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
2: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
0: You have 47 new voicemails.
2: Download
1: the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10
2: per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Jim Margulis is the founder of SoxMachine.com, a place for daily analysis of the team and its farm system. Born in Chicago and raised in Downers Grove, Jim is a lifelong Sox fan like Rob, and has been covering the ins and outs of the team for Sox Machine since 2006. He told me that since he was living in New York during the team's 2005 World Series run, starting the website was the result of not really having anyone near him to talk White Sox with during one of their most exciting eras. So the World Wide Web gave him that ability to connect with other Southside fans around the world. Since he lives and breathes White Sox, I started our conversation by asking if he or the Sox fandom in general expected these moves to fire Williams and Han.
0: It wasn't expected. I think there was a little bit of... In alert when USA Today's Bob Nightingale said that Rick Hahn had one year left on his contract because the White Sox never make that known. The White Sox never lets you know how long an executive is hired for. Any non-player personnel, even managers, they don't do that with. So the fact that he was fired basically two days later and Kenny Williams along with him Turned out to be not necessarily the shocker it could have been, but still rather surprising because the White Sox don't make any changes. I mean, they're both around for 20 something years. They could have been fired in 2011, they could have been fired in 2016, and they weren't. And as for how it was received, there's always the preface of you never want to see anybody lose their jobs. But in terms of like organizational culture, like it is a watershed moment. In the White Sox actually making a change. And what's unfortunate about like how long it dragged out is that, you know, Kenny Williams never got his proper sendoff or a victory lap for the very good job he did in the aughts building a World Series winner. Like if the White Sox fired him when things are starting to go sour in 2011 or when things really hit the fan in 2016 you would have been able to say like, he had a good run. Congratulations, tip of the cap to Kenny Williams. But then he stayed on for another seven years and another rebuild came and went. And so at that point, everybody's just tired of, uh, yeah the same old, same old. Well, following the Sox this season, at the time we're recording this,
1: the Sox are approaching, knocking on the door of about 80 losses right now. Mm-hmm. Why do you think these firings came down now? We're approaching fall and kind of like Chalking up this whole season as a loss anyway. But why do you think these things happen now? And also, so close to Reinsdorf floating out the idea of moving or selling the team after
0: 2029, are these two things related at all? It's impossible to know for sure because Jerry Reinsdorf does not speak to the public. When it comes to the timing, there's the argument for firing people before the trade deadline. So the people who are going to be in charge make future looking moves that aren't there for job preservation. But if you have front office members, general manager and executive vice president who are already in talks with other teams about what teams might be interested in what players, maybe it doesn't make sense to disrupt that. So when the August 2nd deadline came and went, you know, that's probably the time to start like looking to overhaul a front office. And the Detroit Tigers actually last year, I think fired Al Avila, who is their general manager around like August 8th, August 10th. So that's one of the typical times to fire a front office is right after all the heavy work is done and you have a little bit of downtime to start reshifting focus. As for the talk about relocating the team, maybe there is a connection. Maybe there is a case where like the White Sox want to have like a stable front office in place, one that isn't well past its expiration date, even if it is like more of a patch job. Just to present to sellers and and, and have like a, a real stable front office in mind, even if it isn't maybe the most ambitious front office hiring they could make. To me, the talk about like relocating either inside the city or inside Chicagoland or outside Chicago in the state of Illinois might be more down to other teams using Nashville as a potential leverage point. Like the White Sox are not the first team to float the idea of moving to Nashville. If you're looking for leverage ploys and you're looking for like a possible markets move to like, maybe they don't wanna be too late into using a city that other teams are already using and to maybe to some effect. Jim pointed out to me what he feels to
1: be a confusing chain of command within the team's front office, especially during Tony La Russa's last run as manager. Most teams, Jim says, have a logical flow of information. Team managers report to a GM, the GM reports to the president of baseball operations, and the president to the owner. But Jim points to Reinsdorf directly hiring LaRussa back to the team in 2021 and allegedly going over the heads of both Williams and Hahn to do so as a move that potentially created chaos behind the scenes, because LaRussa then had a direct line to Reinsdorf and didn't have to go up the chain of command.
0: But when it comes to just like where the White Sox are, and this goes back to Reinsdorf, he likes being in the mix. He likes having different people answer to him. And you know, when moves are made or when like free agents are signed or when you hear about discontent, and you're wondering like who is actually talking to Reinsdorf or who has Reinsdorf's ear? Whose move was this? And like the White Sox won the division in 2021 with La Russa in charge. And I mean, it was a talented team. La Russa did some good things in terms of like, you know, working around injuries and mixing players in. He also had some, Uh, weaknesses in terms of like there were some cases of him not knowing the rules and mismanaging injuries a little bit so like it wasn't a perfect job but he had some strengths it recently revealed that he's been battling cancer uh so like he was battling just being in the 70s and having multiple health issues and not having the energy to maybe rise to the challenge of a team that's kind of falling apart based on just how they were run and how the chain of command was tangled the white Sox couldn't tell if the problems with the roster were like Purely talent based or just mismanaged because they didn't have this uh, normal reporting structure that every other team has. So they brought in Pedro Grafal to replace Larusa, who reported to Han, who reported to Williams, who reported to Reinsdorf. And now it's quite evident that talent is the problem, that the fit in the roster is the problem, that clubhouse culture and just the work ethics, effort, etc., is the problem. Even if you don't blame Larusa for everything that went wrong, and I don't, the fact that the White Sox couldn't use those years to tell how poorly the roster fit because they had so many other problems that they invited uh into the discussion made it really hard for them to be able to eliminate variables. And now they find out like, oh, the roster is just falling apart. And because we couldn't address problems like a normal organization, we're dealing with these one, maybe two years too late.
1: Well, you brought up Larusa, him being brought back as a consultant. What's been the response now to them bringing him back in, in that role?
0: It's not good. It's another case too, of just, you know, when he had the health problems and had to step down, it was another case of like, White Sox fans not rooting for it, but happy that there's a resolution to just this tangled hierarchy that can't get out of its own way. And now that resolution is uh, unresolved. (laughs) Now they undid it and he's back in the mix and you're hearing reporters and sports radio talking about like, is there a coup? Is he getting his revenge over Han and Williams who didn't want him there? And this is the kind of palace intrigue that only the White Sox invite because of just everybody who has aligned to Reinsdorf and how he won't go outside the organization. So people have had his ear for years and he can't get a fresh perspective by talking to other people, talking to newer people, talking to younger people, even though those younger people are not maybe young, maybe 60 is younger. Uh, fifties are younger. His you know personal GPS is probably just totally scrambled and there's no way to know, uh, up from down. The White Sox should not be bottom 10 to 10s. They should not be bottom 10 in interest and just be irrelevant in terms of like where they are in the baseball world, but it's all self-inflicted.
1: Once news of Han and Williams leaving the organization was confirmed, Twitter was awash in suggestions of one name to come in and save the Sox from further years of failure, Theo Epstein, who comes with a track record himself, of bringing losing franchises like the Red Sox and Cubs back to the World Series. So I asked Jim from where he sits if there's potential of Epstein giving two Chicago baseball teams a much-needed resuscitation.
0: It seems, I guess I would say it seems highly unlikely. Reinsdorf you know, likes to hire within this circle. Epstein is such a defined personality, and his track record of success is so... Long and it looms over everything that you would have to defer to him. And I don't think Reinsdorf ultimately likes deferring to his decision makers. He likes being involved. Like he defers, but he's not deferential. Yeah, I I would say in, in that regard. So I think Epstein would be too important to work under Reinsdorf. I think the one exception I can make is if Epstein, you know, he's achieved everything he can do at the baseball executive level, you know, general manager, president of baseball operations, like you resuscitate the Red Sox and Cubs and bring, you know, end their curses, like the White Sox cannot compete with that. The one way they could compete with this specter of a sale approaching is if Epstein wanted an ownership share. If he wants to get in the ownership ranks, if he can get a share of it, uh, then perhaps like that might be enough to move the needle. If he's already done the two toughest, most storied jobs you can possibly do, this one would seem small potatoes by comparison, and the White Sox certainly don't have a reputation of paying more than small potatoes for their executives. Let's talk about Nashville
1: for a little bit. I feel like you're a rarity in this conversation because you live in Nashville now, correct?
0: Yes. Yeah, so, it's fortuitous.
1: Yes, right. You are the guy to talk to in this, in this regard. Is there hunger or at least an interest in Music City for a pro team, just bottom line?
0: There's an interest right now. The Tennessee Titans are going through a new stadium process. Like they've had a vote approved. They're looking at uh, land and just that's sucking up a lot of the oxygen right now and political battling. And yeah, the questions about public funds and is this the best use and uh, what is the city going to get out of it? What do you do with the old stadium, et cetera. But I think there has been movement towards it. There are a few different ownership groups I would like in music city. Baseball is the best known and has been the most public in terms of like, hiring credible baseball people like Dave Stewart and Dave Dombrowski before the Phillies hired Dombrowski away. So there, there is some outreach, some community forums being held to try to figure out where might be viable sites. What kind of attendance do we need to draw? What kind of corporate buy-in do we need in order to advance from AAA, which they have right now to a major league team, but everything's been talked about purely in terms of expansion not teams relocating just because expansion is a ways off. You know, the league has made it known, I guess, that it wants to go to 32 teams. So it wants to add two more, but everything's been purely in the realm of an expansion team that a Nashville group would own. Nashville does have some like explosion city problems as well, in terms of like you know, public transit, uh, traffic, everything like that. How many people could actually get to a stadium, uh, at game time with rush hour because like the infrastructure isn't quite there? So that's why these viability studies are going to take a long time. But there are some elements in place. The Athletic ran a poll among players of which city should be the next exp- expansion team. Nashville was like the far and away the leader, and that's because like a lot of players live in Nashville, like Nashville is a very good place. To be rich and famous, because generally speaking, there are a lot of rich and famous people here. So yep. uh, you can kind of walk among people. They don't bother you. There's kind of like a code to where, like, yes. you, know, you know, selfies and, and, you know, autographs are frowned upon. And also, like, they just might not be recognized. If they don't play right. for a Nashville team, like, they, they might go undetected because there are a lot more important people here who are recognized. So I think uh, would be popular among players. So I think there is like a realistic, Case for bringing major league baseball in Nashville, but I do think it is something that's like probably at least five years away to wrap things up, whether it's on the field or off, what do you want to see happen
1: before we get to fall as someone who devotes their time to covering the White Sox independently?
0: The biggest thing the White Sox could do for their fans is actually have a search for a new president of baseball operations general manager. And they hire from outside the organization with long shot, I would say, is like somebody Theo Epstein size. Like that would be a case of fans being like, yes, now the benefit of doubt is restored. We will give two or three years to let this person take over and put their stamp on the team. Like that would just do so much to uh, clear the slate.
1: This episode of Looped In Chicago was hosted by me, Jim Hankey, and produced by myself and Ariel Ravenay, with additional recording by Chris Lopez. You can subscribe to the show on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen. And don't forget to follow us on social media. That's at WBBM podcasts for additional visual content to these episodes. We'll keep you looped in again right here next week. See you soon.
2: Baseball is back.